And one of the most interesting parts of all of this story is that, in fact, we have a former CIA agent, and not just any CIA agent, but Robert Baer, who was actually the inspiration behind the character that George Clooney plays in, in the movie Syriana. He's a, uh, a talking head that's often brought on CNN and other major networks to talk about uh, the Middle East, where he had been stationed for a long time in his uh, CIA capacity. In 2008, he was recorded by a citizen journalist group talking about how he knew, quote unquote, I know the guy that went into his broker in San Diego and said, cash me out. It's going down tomorrow in reference specifically to 9-11. And uh, when questioned about this, uh, he, he said, well, his brother worked at the White House and left it at that. And that, that's on record. Again, you can go and watch the video of Robert Baer talking about this. So we have this well-known former CIA agent talking about uh, this, this direct advanced knowledge of the 9-11 attacks the day before 9-11. And that has not been reported on, as far as I know, by any major news network, has never been followed up whatsoever, but is a pretty glaring admission that there was something, unless we are to, to take the fact that perhaps Robert Bear was simply lying or or maybe it was a joke, maybe that's what he'll say. But at any rate, no one has followed up on, on that. And putting that together with all of the data that we have from these scientific studies that show there was anomalous trading and the FBI uh, investigation documents that have been released showing work Dexter Walker III and others being involved in that trading, I think it's highly significant and something that really does deserve uh, people's attention. Ultimately, this, this question of advanced knowledge trading on the 9-11 attacks is not over. It's not, it's not done with. There's still a lot of information that needs to be talked about. But perhaps conveniently, the SEC will never be able to release the records of their investigation into this because those records were destroyed as part of routine record keeping, something that was discovered by a researcher placing a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act, request for that information a few years ago. Uh, the response was that the SEC uh, had no responsive documents because that had been destroyed. So we will never know what the SEC ultimately concluded from their investigation into this insider trading or uh, where that information is. Now, as you point out in your documentary, the offices of Marsh and McLennan in the North Tower were, I think, completely destroyed because they were in the exact impact section on the North Tower. Isn't that correct? That is correct, yes. The chief risk management officer of Marsh and McLennan was none other than Paul Bremer. He wasn't killed on 9-11. Where was he? Paul Bremer was, in fact, not in his offices on 9-11. Uh, he was uh, the, the former managing director of Kissinger and Associates. He went on to oversee the U.S. occupation of Iraq as the Iraq occupation governor. But uh, he was the chief of risk management on 9-11, specifically for Martian McLennan, not in his offices, but at NBC TV studios, where he was brought on as a terrorism slash counterterrorism expert to talk about the, the attacks. And uh, this was literally just hours after the, uh, the planes had struck. There was still very little information that had been made publicly available and presumably little information that uh, at that point had been collected. But at that time, um, the news anchor suggested that this was probably bin Laden and Paul Bremer agreed. 
bin Laden was involved in the first attack on the World Trade Center, which had as its intention doing exactly what happened here, which was to collapse both towers. He certainly has to be a prime suspect. So literally within hours of the, uh, the plane strikes, you had Paul Bremer, head of risk management at Martian McLennan, who was not at his offices, but at uh, the TV studio recording this interview, uh, talking about how bin Laden was the prime suspect. And of course, as I say, he went on to become the uh, Iraq occupation governor. The second half of your documentary, 9-11 Trillions, Follow the Money, is on the Pentagon's missing millions, beginning with the $2.3 trillion that was first mentioned in Rumsfeld's confirmation hearing, and then again on September 10th. What's even more shocking is Rumsfeld's mention of Roberta Wolstetter's book, Pearl Harbor, Warning and Decision, at the same hearing, this being in January of 2001. What did you discover in your research about the Pentagon's missing millions, or trillions, I should say? Indeed, missing trillions. It is difficult to even wrap your head around such a concept, especially uh, a decade and a half ago when trillions was still a large number. I suppose in our post-bailout world, it doesn't seem quite as large as it did at that time. But yes, uh, this was a, a startling conclusion of a uh, DOD Inspector General report in the early part of the 2000s, uh, specifically the, the Inspector General report for fiscal year 1999, had found $7.6 trillion of department-level accounting entries through the Defense Finance and Accounting Service that were processed in that year. But of that $7.6 trillion of accounting entries, only $3.5 trillion could actually be accounted for. There was $2.3 trillion in transactions that were fudged essentially to make entries balance. Uh, they were run without proper documentation or even made up entirely. And the inspector general's office did not even have the time or staff to examine the other $1.8 trillion in transactions that uh, that were unaccounted for because they, they just simply didn't have the, the, the resources to, to combat that, to look at that problem. So that was the, the, the pretty startling uh, conclusion of the uh, DOD Inspector General's fiscal year 1999 examination. And this, of course, came up in the confirmation hearings for Rumsfeld, as, as you say, where they talked about this at some length. And uh, at that time, of course, there was uh, the, the, the incoming Bush administration was arguing for a $50 billion increase in the Department of Defense's budget, which the, the, the senators in the confirmation hearing were, were taking a bit of umbrage at uh, the idea that they would spend another $50 billion on the Department of Defense when there's at least $2.3 trillion in transactions that couldn't be tracked and presumably were uh, unaccounted for, we'll say. Uh, missing might not be quite the right way to put it, but certainly unaccounted for with the possibility of a lot of that money being simply missing. And uh, at that time, it became something of a political issue, certainly in the confirmation hearings and in some of the other uh, defense budgetary hearings that were taking place throughout 2001. Again, in July of 2001, uh, Rumsfeld was talk, uh, talking about this before the House Appropriations Committee. It was certainly a, a large topic, and one would understand why. Again, talking about trillions of dollars in unaccounted transactions, equivalent to the entire federal budget uh, for the, that year, actually. Uh, a startling amount of uh, funds that were unaccounted for. And interestingly, on September 10th, 2001, the very day before 9-11, uh, Rumsfeld uh, made a speech in which he talked about how America was going to start a new war, a war on 
bureaucracy because of this unaccounted for uh, money that they, they, they couldn't they couldn't track through the system. Well, they were going to have to start a war on bureaucracy in order to try to to find out where this money was and what was happening to it. A war which uh, I suppose melted away in the wake of 9-11 because, of course, uh, in the wake of 9-11, there was no question whatsoever whether or not the U.S. Department of Defense's budget should increase or not. It was increased greatly. And, of course, we saw the Afghanistan invasion and the Iraq war take place as a result of that increase. Um, interestingly, part of that September 11th speech uh, Rumsfeld actually posed the question, some might ask how in the world could the Secretary of Defense attack the Pentagon in front of its people? To them, I reply, I have no desire to attack the Pentagon. I want to liberate it. And that was less than 24 hours before the Pentagon was being struck. What can you tell us about Pentagon controller Dov Zockheim and his connections? Uh, Pentagon controller Dov Zakheim was the the chief of something called the Systems Planning Corporation. And uh, Systems Planning Corporation, uh, SPC, was involved in uh, defense contracting for Department of Defense for DARPA. Uh, it was involved in the radar uh, physics laboratory, remote control system for airborne vehicles. Um, it had a lot of different contracts going on, uh, but basically it was developing, among other things, ways to to remotely control uh, airplanes. And uh, Zakheim, of course, ultimately end up, ended up becoming the, the controller overseeing the trillions of dollars of uh, missing money from the Pentagon, which was interesting in and of itself, but also interesting perhaps for his connection to something called the Project for the New American Century, which I'm sure many of your listeners have heard about before. But this was a, a group of uh, neocons in uh, the late 1990s during the Clinton administration who uh, formed a group uh, in 1997 specifically to, to try to uh, put forward various policy um, uh, in initiatives. And one of those was called Rebuilding America's Defenses, which was a uh, 2000 uh, a document. It was released in September of 2000, calling for a vast transformation of the American military and, uh, among other things, talking about uh, introducing biological weapons as a, uh, as a possibility for future warfare and things of that nature. Really quite amazing, startling things. But the, that document, of course, contained the famous line that the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. And of course, immediately in the wake of 9-11, it was referred to as the new Pearl Harbor, which of course did bring to mind uh, Rumsfeld's uh, praising of the book about Pearl Harbor by Roberta Walsetter in his January 2001 nomination hearings. And of course, one of the authors of that document, one of the, uh, the, the people in, involved in that uh, project for the New American Century that put out that Rebuilding America's Defenses document was Do Dov Zakheim, who, of course, went on to become the comptroller. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, incidentally, was also a member of the project for the New American Century. In your documentary, it is stated that by the year 2013, there was $8.5 trillion in unaccounted for Pentagon funds. So I guess there is no no oversight at all, even to this day. Uh, no, the Pentagon has not been able to balance its budget in all of this time. Uh, it has not been able to uh, provide uh, accurate accounting of what's going on. Uh, this is an ongoing problem. It should really, you would think, be one of the 
major scandals of the 21st century. One would think that uh, considering the amount of money that we're talking about here, $8.5 trillion unaccounted for, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that all $8.5 trillion is missing per se. Uh, it's just that they can't uh, tell how they spent it. Um, but there are some indications that we have uh, of, of the, the scope of what we're looking at here. For example, uh, Stephen Miles, in a report that was broadcast on RT, uh, was talking about uh, one of the Inspector General reports that has been released since 2001, uh, which incidentally, the I should say that there was no fiscal uh, year 2001 Inspector General report released at all because there was an understaffing of the Inspector General office as a result of 9-11 and the hitting of the Pentagon's offices. So that's, I think, interesting in and of itself. But anyway, in the intervening years, uh, the Inspector General has looked at a number of different things, including specifically at the money spent on the invasion of Iraq. And even in that, that tiny slice of, uh, of money, uh, they were able to find that $50 billion of the, the invasion funding was completely uh, wasted and about $6 billion completely lost. There is absolutely no way to account for it. So again, this is an ongoing problem and you would think that this would be a major political scandal, but for some reason it doesn't appear to be. And the only people that I have ever seen ask Rumsfeld about this uh, since uh, really that time, since he left office, was a citizen journalist group, which I, I believe in 2000, I want to say 2011, or perhaps in late 2010, asked him about this money. And uh, he stumbled his way through a response in which he said it was billion dollars instead of trillion. He said $2.3 billion, uh, perhaps a slip of the lip, um, and uh, tried to, to wave it off as just, oh, well, we, we just couldn't track it through our system. It's, it's because of old computers and things of that nature. So again, it's quite remarkable how this has been basically swept under the rug of what you would think would be the, the major economic accounting scandal of the 21st century. Well, James Corbett, I would like to congratulate you on two terrific uh, documentaries, How Big Oil Conquered the World and 9-11 Trillions Follow the Money. How about telling us a little bit about the Corbett Report, how it's produced? Well, I started this back in 2007. In 2004, I, I moved to Japan. I'm Canadian originally, but uh, I came to Japan to teach English, and I was doing that for a few years. In 2006 or so, I started to encounter some of the information that led me along the path towards creating the, uh, the corporate report, including, of course, uh, some of the interviews that you've done on your show. And that information just started to accrue to the point where I could not take the discrepancy anymore between what I was seeing represented in the mainstream versus what I was finding in, in these various online sources through first uh, firsthand documentation and, and uh, other things like the Operation Northwoods documents and things that were just not being talked about in any of the media that I was seeing on a daily basis. So I s decided to start the Corbett Report. Uh, I started it in 2007. Uh, initially, it was just going to be a podcast, but that quickly expanded into articles and interviews and, uh, and videos. And, and now, at this point, uh, for the last four and a half years now, it's been a full-time endeavor for me. And I'm supported through subscribers and uh, people who donate to try to make this possible. And I'm extremely, I mean, I'm extremely humbled to be in this position because I know a lot, not a lot of people are able to do full-time work on this. So I, I don't take that lightly and I do try to put out the, the best uh, work that I possibly can. And as I say, I mean, some of these things like my recent oil documentary is really in some sense the culmination of nearly a decade of research. 
Well, that's easy enough to believe. And congratulations for making making that full time. It's full time for me too, but I'm still struggling to try and make it viable. It sounds like you're doing very well. So, James Corbett, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure.